John 17, verse 1 to 10. The slides are on the Beamer. You can read it in Dutch and Papiamento. John 17, verse 1 to 10. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me, you gave me all to the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in the John 17 verse 1 to 10 and now I would like to invite Pastor Doug for this term good morning I'd like to try a little experiment I want you to use your imagination and imagine that you have just won a very large prize. Okay? You think what would be a very large prize? Now, what I'd like you to do is put the expression on your face that you would have if that happened. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Some of you did very well. That is hard to fake, am I right? It is hard to fake uh, an emotional response but certainly, if you won a very large prize, I don't know what that would be. If you won a very large prize, the expression on your face would change at least for a second. Now, some of us are very good at masking the fact that we have feelings. And so we win big prizes and you can barely tell. You know, like, we, we have a name for that in America. 
It's a stone face. I don't recommend being a stone face, even though I can be one on certain occasions at certain times. I try not to register surprise when there's a bad surprise, right? So I used to be a youth pastor and uh, we had a retreat one time and we were doing this, uh, what do you call it, like a challenge course where kids learn to do teamwork and uh, you watch and see who the leaders are and you, you know they learn to trust each other and communicate even when they're not talking and lots of stuff. It's very valuable if you're going to build community in a youth group. It's very helpful. And we had this one challenge where the team had to start from over here and get the whole team into a very small area over here by swinging on a rope. And first they had to figure out how to get a hold of the rope because it was like hanging down in the middle. So they're figuring this out, they get a hold, so somebody takes his belt off and they get a hold of the rope and they, they swing and this one by one they're landing and then this one kid, he starts to swing and he comes off the rope in the middle and he lands, bang, on a rock on his arm. I tried not to show surprise. I tried to remain calm. So sometimes that can be good, but when you get a good prize, it shows on your face. Did, you ever, did that ever happen to you? Maybe you were a kid at one time and you got a Christmas gift that was exactly the right Christmas gift. Did that, that, that ever happen to you? That's happened to me once, once or twice. I remember many years ago I got a major Matt Mason, which nowadays we would call an action figure. For some reason, I think I was 10, 9 years old, something like that. That was a really good Christmas gift. One time I got this radio, this radio that received on like what, like eight different bands. So it would get like shortwave. And so you could listen to stuff that was, you know, somebody was saying on a whole opposite side of the earth. Uh, that was very exciting. Didn't take me long to break it. But you know that look you see when a kid opens a great present. So all of this talk about surprises and what you look like when you get a prize is aimed at one thing. What to you would constitute a prize? What would be a prize for you? You know, uh, for most of us, I think there is a thing that would be the prize. Some of you have found a partner in life, and back before you found that partner, most of us look forward to finding that person. We have these days a sort of romantic idea that there's one 
that one. We call that person the one. Someone might ask you, a friend of yours might ask you when you're dating, is she the one? Do you think she's the one? So for some of us, finding that life partner, that romantic interest, that's, that's a pretty serious prize. Some of you won that prize, and now it's a few years later, and you're not thinking of it so much as a prize anymore. You need to remember what a prize she is. Okay, enough said about that. She was a great gift to you, an act of God's magnanimous grace. And he has called you to be the one that loves her. Yes, that all was very one-sided. Anyway, that's not what this is about. What's the prize? For some of us, it would be a success in a particular career or line of work. There's people who, even today, there's way too many young people believing that one day they will be the prime minister of something or the president of something. There are so many of those thinking that's going to be them one day, they can't possibly all win the prize. Or some people are thinking about their financial status as a prize. So for those people, if they suddenly won the lottery, they would have gotten a great prize. It's funny though, you know, winning the lottery stands a really good chance of ruining your life. It's just how it works. Anyway, what to you is the prize? Well, I wonder if there is a thing that is the prize. And obviously, since I'm asking this question and talking about this, I think there is a thing that is the prize. The prize above all other prizes. We just read about it in that passage that Yanto read so beautifully in English. In John chapter 17. There's a couple of prizes mentioned in this text. One of them is a gift given from a father to a son. Jesus is praying. He says, I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
glorified. You know, when you give a child that perfect gift and they open it and you see that thing happen, their whole body lights up, they're glorified. And Jesus is glorified in the gift he receives from his Father. The scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy was the literal fulfillment of his name, Emmanuel. That name we sing and celebrate, especially in the holiday season, in the Christmas season, Emmanuel. What was the prize? God with us. And so for Jesus, the prize that he won by the hard work of the cross is the body of Christ, the church, the believer, the reclaimed, reconciled people of God. That was the prize. That prize produces unmeasurable joy in the heart of our Savior. He rejoices over his people. Now, we might start feeling pretty good about ourselves because of that. But the only thing that makes us value is he has valued us. He has set his love on us, and the Father has said, these are yours to the Son, and the Son says, these are yours. Yours is mine, mine is yours. And we rejoice in the fellowship of the body of Christ, in the fellowship of the triune God. It is the prize. The church is called his inheritance. That's the prize. But there's another prize here. That's the prize of Jesus. What about us? What about me? I'd like a prize. Here it is. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So we've been given to the Son, and the Son, wait, what is it? You've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all of those who you have given to the Son. What's this prize? Eternal life. Eternal life. Now, it just so happens when Jesus talks about eternal life, especially in the book of John, he is not mostly talking about how long it lasts. 
For many of us, if this life lasted forever, that we might not call a good thing. Many people come to the point where they're tired of life. They view death as a blessing. That's always wrong, by the way. Death is the enemy. But Jesus is not talking about how long it lasts, primarily, though it does last forever. When he says eternal life, he means something about the quality of it, not just the length of it. And this is how I know, because in this very next verse, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and they may know me, the one you sent. What is the prize? Fellowship with the living God in Christ, that is the prize. I don't see a lot of... That is the prize. That's kind of what Jesus was talking about when he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Of all the prizes. Suppose you got all the other prizes, but you didn't get this one. Well, you'd be like that guy who stored up all that stuff and, you know, he was rich, successful. Everyone said, blessed by God. Look how successful he is. God is blessing him. God is blessing him. Every day he's going up thinking, man, I must be a great guy. God is blessing me with all this. And he builds more barns to put more stuff in. And then God says, enough. Now who's going to spend all that? Not that guy. And Jesus says, his comment on that story is, so what, what is What good does it do you to gain everything else and lose your soul? What if you got all the other things you think of as prizes, but you missed this? Not good. This is the prize. The problem is we don't see it. That's the problem. You know, here in the church, you won. You have it. You are one of those people the Father has given to the Son, and the Son has given this eternal life. You can walk in fellowship with the living God in Christ and by the Spirit beginning now. You can, from here on, God with us is the prize. You already won. And yet, we can go around in the world getting all, uh, but I want what they have. Are you nuts? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. 
Yes, we are nuts. We are so easily distracted by stupid, shiny objects when we have the prize. That's why we come to church every Sunday, so we can remember to dance. We won. It's a settled, settled thing. It is a thing worked by Almighty God. You cannot mess up what God has done. You are not that strong. He has all the power. He has all the love. He knows you better than you know you. And he has the Father, according to Scripture, if you have put your faith in Christ, the Father has given you as a gift to the Son and in doing so has sent his Spirit, the the living God dwells in you for crying out loud. Can you get over that? I hope not. And so you have trusted in Christ. You win. When we talked about, we've been talking about for several weeks now, what we believe, because we're in this series that is about what is the Christian life the way it is envisioned in this church. And we're giving a crash course on the Christian life the way we do it here. And if we believe those things that we said we believe, that changes what we prize, our values. What do I regard as worth it, as worth something? If the gospel is true, my worldly idea of what is worth something is totally upside down. And so we come to a statement of values, and we have, I think there's seven values. They all begin with this expression, we live with God. Now, the first thing is to go, we live with God. Hello. We could just stop right there and just go dance for a while, clap, shout, sing. This is why we sing, by the way. We don't just come to church and listen to lectures, though the lecture is the most important part. The, we sing. We got to sing. Sometimes I think we should have the lecture and then sing. Well, we always have a song at the end. Because that's when we remember, yes, yes, yes. Here's the problem with most of us Christians. We think of being a Christian as some sort of weight we have to carry. Some sort of burden on us. We think of obedience as a hardship, not as an opportunity. I'm trying to get us all to change our minds and listen to this at International Bible Church 
We enjoy life with God. This is the thing, the prize, the whole thing. We enjoy this life through the reconciliation accomplished by his son, ministered by his spirit. You are a miracle for crying out loud. You have experienced the hand of God by the work of the cross, by the ministry of the spirit. You won. So we have these values. We live with God together in the body of Christ. And we invite others to join us. This is our introduction to our statement of values. At International Bible Church, we enjoy life with God through the reconciliation accomplished by his son, Jesus Christ, ministered by his Holy Spirit. We live with God together in the body of Christ and invite others to join us. Here's what should be happening. Christians are going around looking like fools because they are so happy. They're happy even when they're dying, even when their wife or husband or child is dying. They're happy. They have a in a, an instilled joy that cannot be smothered. They are the winner, and they know it. That should be so true. Also, because of this, they love and serve each other. More on that later. They love and serve each other so well that the people around them are saying, what is wrong with those people? What is going on over there? You do not, we do not distinguish ourselves from the world by being moralistic jerks. By telling the world how they should straighten up. Oh, and also telling each other now, we should tell each other how to straighten up, but always with a smile and always with a, I mean, come on, don't you see how good this is? Not, but, This should be so obvious in our fellowship that people are saying, what is going on over there? But this is the life we have with God. This is eternal life that you know the Father and the Son. And so we have a few other things to say this morning, three other things. We live with God in the gospel, in the good news. Now, what do people who are living in good news look like? You remember that experiment I had at the beginning? I know it was a while back now, 
But you remember that, right? When I said, what if you won a prize? What would your face look like? That's what these people look like. People who have received good news, who live in good news, they look a little bit crazy. And we live with God in the gospel when we live by trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. This is always at the beginning and the end and the middle of everything. It's under everything. The work, the finished work of Christ in which I rest. You know, when we come in here on a Sunday morning, you know, we've been out there in the world. The world is a horrible place, even here. People abuse you. People abuse each other, and you see it. It's hard. But when we come in here, we can. This is home, my friends. This is the comfy couch of God home. Not because you earned it, not because there's anything special about you, but because there is something special about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we trust in Him. The gospel is good news that the God the Father has reconciled us to Himself. He has made it possible for us to have life, to enjoy life with Him through the righteous life, atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension, intercession, and promised return of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's that same story we had at the beginning. You remember that? The righteous life, atoning death, bodily sacrifice, ascension, intercession, and promised return of His Son, Jesus Christ. And through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the believer and in the church, this good news is always at the heart of everything in the life of the church. The church is a good news club. The church has this good news. God did it. He didn't wait around for you. He knew we were lost if he doesn't act. And so he acts. He acts on the cross. He acts in sending the Spirit. He acts by the ministry of the Spirit to lead you to see Christ for who he really is and trust him. God acts. Jesus will come back for his church. Jesus will raise every last one of us from the dead even if we haven't died yet. The good news is always at the heart of everything. If someone is in here sweeping the floor, it is about the gospel. Everything. We live with God in the gospel when we live with, by trusting in Jesus Christ. We live with God 
in the scriptures when we pay attention to his words. By the way, you can get one of these. They're on the table. They're free if you don't have one. Or if you'd just like to have another one, they're free. We live with God in the scriptures when we pay attention to his words. Now here's the thing. It's related to that other thing I said about how Christians, sometimes we act like moralistic jerks. You know, we're always nagging everyone about how bad we are. And we're not wrong about that. It's just not the good news. And people don't get better by being nagged. But here's the thing we do with the Bible. It is the most common way we read the Bible. The Bible does define righteousness in human behavior. And what we do with that is weaponize it. I wish I could stop. I wish I could stop. I do it to myself. I do it about how disciplined I am about reading the Bible. And so I don't see reading the Bible as some sort of amazing opportunity to listen to the voice of my Abba, but as a religious duty I fulfill and thereby feel good about myself, maybe even superior to you because I've studied the Bible hard. What have you done? It is the word of the Father who sent the Son, who sent the Spirit, who gave you as a gift to the Son, who placed you in the body of Christ, who won for you. That's who's speaking here. It is not a burden. It is not a... uh, moral duty, but if you have one, oh my gosh, you win. Do you see how we do this? How we take these things that God has turned from burden into chance, opportunity, prize, and we turn them back into burdens. We treat it like it's still a burden. Repent of yourself. Trust in Christ. Enjoy the opportunity. Repent of yourself. Trust in Christ. Enjoy the opportunity. We live with God in the scripture 
when we pay attention to his words, we meet God, we come to know, oh wait, eternal life, knowing God. We come to know, we come to know and learn to trust him in the pages of the Bible. In knowing God, we begin to see who we really are, who we're called to be, who we have the opportunity to become. The Abba Club, the, the resurrection team, who we are, who we're called to be, and how that can be realized in our unity in Christ, unity with each other, unity with Christ. In the Bible, God teaches, reproves, corrects, instructs, leads us to salvation through faith in Christ, equips us for every good work. Now, I can read that list and feel the weight of it or see the opportunity of it. And it all depends on whether I'm listening to the Spirit and looking to Christ. That's all. Every word of the Bible is God's word, so we trust that everything the Bible says is true and carries the authority of God himself. The Bible's the lens through which we evaluate all other claims. Now, we can't, we're not actually smart enough to pull that off, but that's what we're working on. We live with God in the gospel when we live by trusting in Christ. We live with God in the scriptures when we pay attention to his words. We live with God in prayer. You will notice there's, this is the only one of the statements, the seven statements of our values. We live with God in prayer that doesn't come with when we I wanted all of them to have a when we, but here's the problem. When it came to prayer, I couldn't think of one. I worked my mind hard to think of one. We live with God in prayer when we pray. <laughs> There's not a thing to put on the end of this sentence. We live with God in prayer. Pray without ceasing, the apostle says. Prayer is living in the prize. Prayer. Now, when I say prayer, I don't mean, you know, some sort of formalized kneel by the side of your bed, say your prayers before you go to sleep or after you get up or when you have lunch or those are all prayers. But that's not all they're praying. Prayer is that running conversation you have that includes your heavenly Father in whatever is happening at the moment. That you live your life with reference to Him because you are in His Son and possessed by His Spirit. That's prayer. Prayer is the basic practice of life with God. As soon as you pray, you're, you're, you're there. You're praying to get somewhere else, and you don't realize you've already arrived the moment you walked into the throne room of God and prayed. 
Because for heaven's sakes, you are in the throne room of God talking to God. What else are you interested in? Well, lots of things I have to say. Well, please, Lord, uh, don't let this little pain in my ankle be anything serious. I'm, I'm very concerned about it. But as soon as I bring that to him, As soon as I start praying, I'm starting to remember, oh yeah, he, he's, he's got it. He already had it. The scripture promises that God will take care of you with perfect care at all times, no matter what. If you need it, you already have it because he has provided it. If you have it, you need it. because he is providing something else. Something good, something that if you saw it, you would go, man, I win. You cannot weasel your way out of the generosity of our Father God. And his blessing does not depend on anything from you. He's just dumping it out on his children. He knows how to take perfect care of you. He always knows. Whatever you experience in this life is in his care. Even the really hard things. He's working to produce something so fabulous we cannot even begin to imagine what it is. Prayer is the basic practice. Prayer is living my life with reference to him. In the name of the Son and by the power of the Spirit. That's all. In prayer, we come before God the Father and God the Son and by God the Spirit to directly enjoy and appreciate his grace and love to confess our need of him and our ways of straying from him. You know, some days you just wake up and you go, well, how did I get over here? And we're the prodigal son. We're like, hey, my father's fabulously rich. I should go back home. You just go. And our father is the father who when he sees you coming, he runs out to hug you. He is always that father. It doesn't matter what you did. It could be the most horrible, imaginable thing. And if you look to God in Christ, Jesus said this, no one who comes, I never turn away anyone who comes to me. Is this... I don't, this is unimaginably good. In prayer is where all this happens. 
We, we confess our ways of straying for him. We come to trust him. We trust him with all our needs and desires, which are really ridiculous, most of them. In prayer, we have the opportunity to commune with God, not simply to communicate to God. And we have the opportunity to do this continuously. This opportunity is always available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 100 years per century, always, 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 at any time, no matter what is happening, you can be in fellowship with God in Christ and by the Spirit. You can march into God's office and lay your crud all over his desk and he will assure you and he will embrace you and he will say, I, I know this is covered by the righteousness of Christ. You're good. You win. You win. This is like the thing I keep Praying that the church will see, will realize, will somehow get, and we're all, you know, dragging our flesh around like a ball and chain, I know, but oh, if we could just see this. That the grace of God is rich and rich toward us. It is not based on anything you did, and it is not maintained by anything you might do. Just remember. <laughs> Try to remember. We enjoy life with God. We live with God together. We live with God in the gospel when we live by trusting in Christ. We live with God in the scriptures when we pay attention to his words. We live with God in prayer. That's only the, like the first half. We have, uh, let's see, I can count them. One, two, three, four more statements we're going to talk about next time. And we talk about how we live with God. And what we're talking about here is what we mean here in this church when we say the Christian life. The Christian life is a life lived in the conscious awareness of the finished work of Jesus. Not in the constant struggle to be good. If I live in the awareness of the finished work of Jesus, being good now becomes like, oh, I can do that instead of, oh, I have to do that. It transforms our mindset and it empowers obedience. Obedience is not really the goal, though. Jesus didn't say, this is eternal life, that they may finally obey God. He didn't say that. This is eternal life that they may know God. The scripture says when we see Christ on that day, that amazing day when, we, when he comes for us and we see him with no, nothing in the way, we will become like him in a heartbeat because we'll see him as he is.
bring it. <laughs> that is the day. That is the day we all finally see the prize. Father, we thank you. It's really all we can do. Thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the love of Christ that is visible here. Lord, help us. Help us to just dance in the fountain of your grace, to rest in the work of Christ, to shine the love of Christ in serving each other. Whatever way makes us happy. Lord, thank you. You won the prize for us. Amen.